are listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There are a lot of calls to defund or at least make really big changes to the way that we police in this country. As these conversations have evolved and developed in recent weeks, various points of legislation, history, and culture are all being examined. One point that some legal minds have been exploring is the framework of something called qualified immunity. Here to explain what that is and why it matters is Eve Brinsicki Primus. She is a professor of law and director of the Public Defender Training Institute at the University of Michigan School of Law. Professor, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with the, the sort of basic question here. What is qualified immunity? Well, qualified immunity is something that the United States Supreme Court created in the early 1980s. And the idea behind it is if there's an individual who sues a police officer for monetary damages, claiming that the police officer has violated that individual's rights, that the officer will only be potentially liable to pay those monetary damages if the individual suing can show not only that there was a violation of rights, but that the violation was something that was clearly established in the federal law and that any reasonable officer would have known about this clearly established legal principle. And how is that relevant to this reckoning we're having with America's law enforcement now? I hear people say, this is essentially a free pass for the cops to do what they want to do and not feel like they have to be accountable. Is that true? Yeah, well, part of the problem with qualified immunity is that whenever the police overstep and violate individuals' Fourth Amendment rights, there's a disincentive for anyone to try and file a lawsuit to try and get damages for the harm that was caused to them because they're going to hit this wall as soon as they get to qualified immunity. The courts will say... Look, the Fourth Amendment is a open-ended standard where we're going to assess whether the police were reasonable. And so in most of these cases, there is not any sort of directly on point decision by a court that explains that what the officer did in that case was a violation of clearly established law. And so then there's the case is stopped at that point and the qualified immunity barrier stands in the way of even addressing whether the officer violated an individual's rights to begin with. So there's no development on the law of what is permissible for officers to do and what is not permissible for officers to do. And there's no accountability when the officers cross that line because that immunity prevents any sort of monetary recovery. Hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Eve Brinsicki Primus. She's a professor of law and director of the Public Defender Training Institute at the University of Michigan Law School. We're talking about the concept of qualified immunity, which is really in the spotlight right now as people are demonstrating across the country asking for reforms to policing wanting a change to the police brutality that we see uh, so often against people of color uh, and wanting to rethink the whole idea of policing and police departments. Uh, if you want to join our conversation, uh, what do you think needs to be reformed or completely overhauled in the way that we police our communities in this country? What do you think of government officials having 
qualified immunity and other special protections for the behavior that they indulge on the job. If you could change our country's policing policies, what would be the way that you would change it? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to go to a special caller here. Baba Baxter-Jones is a former Detroit teacher a Detroiter and a longtime community and disability advocate who has a really interesting and poignant story about the concept of uh, qualified immunity when it comes to trying to hold police officers accountable. Baba Baxter Jones, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, thank you very much for having me, Stephen. Sure. So uh, tell us uh, about this legal battle you have. Uh, with the Detroit police in a case that's hinged on qualified immunity? Well, um, the city of Detroit uh, has not been fully compliant with disability law, um, especially since 1990 and the ADA um, was enacted um, and in 2014, I was involved in a nonviolent, peaceful protest uh, because of water shutoffs uh, in the city of Detroit and not making water affordable for the citizens that live here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was arrested. Uh, police chose to arrest me, and in the process of doing that, they used a vehicle that was um, not an accessible vehicle for a person such as myself in a wheelchair and someone who has the kind of um, disabilities that I have they put me in the back of a van where there was no headroom. My head was pressed, jammed up against the ceiling. No way that I could sit up straight, even crouched down. My head was against the ceiling and it bit my neck in an awkward position. And I was forced to ride uh, with no restraints on my wheelchair uh, to the Mound Road Correctional Facility, and I incurred severe um, injuries as a result of just being in a nonviolent protest. Hmm. Um, And then on top of that, I wasn't even charged for any type of crime by the prosecutor. So... I went out, exercised my First Amendment rights to um, demonstrate my dissatisfaction with what was going on in the city that I live in, and I was severely injured because police made a choice to put me in this type of a vehicle where they had a choice 
to call paramedics, which was in their police uh, manual, and they chose not to do that. Yeah. So, um, and and you you have tried to get some justice out of out of this and and uh, filed well, it in court, right? Yeah, it's in court now. Um, and recently, the city was using the defense of qualified immunity to, in fact, justify what their officers did to me. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I really don't know um, how to think about this, yeah. you know, that my own city is saying that the officers are not accountable for making these choices and what they did to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Baba Baxter-Jones, I really appreciate your call and uh, and your sharing your story. Uh, you've been, Brinsick, you Primus, I'd love to get you to react to this story. I think this is, this is exactly the thing that people are kind of, homing in on right now and saying this is what needs to stop. There has to be some way to hold officers accountable when they make decisions that, that harm citizens. Yes, I agree. I think uh, qualified immunity, it protects the police from ever having their actions judged against the standards of the Constitution. And one of the things that proponents of qualified immunity will say is that we need this doctrine in order to not have police officers be afraid of acting as they should act. And I think that argument is really an improper one, because if you look at the underlying laws that the officers are acting under, these are not incredibly onerous responsibilities for the police. So take the Fourth Amendment, for example. It says you can't see someone in an unreasonable way. And so what should happen when when someone like this caller is placed in the back of a police cruiser and his neck is injured like that is the courts should ask, look, was what the police did unreasonable under Fourth Amendment standards in the way that they seized him? But qualified immunity enables the courts to avoid ever even having to ask that question. And I think there are some people who think if you take away qualified immunity, that suddenly all of these officers are going to be held responsible and have to pay money damages and no one is going to want to be a police officer and it's going to come out of the public fisc. But I think that misunderstands an underlying point, which is that the legal standards here already give deference to the officers. The Fourth Amendment excessive force standard has deference baked into it mm -hmm. to give officers room to act in situations that are rapidly evolving, that require split-second decision-making. So taking away qualified immunity is not necessarily going to like make every single tiny mistake that an officer makes within the bounds of reasonableness be something that results in monetary damages. It's going to check the police when they make unreasonable mistakes. And I think we should want to check the police when they make unreasonable mistakes. Yeah. Uh, again, Baba Baxter-Jones, I'm really glad you called and uh, shared your story. Let's go to Bernadette, Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Mm -hmm. My um, point is 
the intentionality of the police. You know, they're not, when, they, um, when that adrenaline and that testosterone is pumping through an officer, uh, reason goes out the window. How do we know what their intention is? And secondarily, how much do these cases cost the city yeah. when um, the city is sued for excessive force and the city uh, loses? Yeah, uh, great questions, uh, Bernadette. Uh, first, uh, Professor Primus, let's talk about uh, this idea of determining intentionality and how the law works around, uh, uh, you know, trying to figure out what was in somebody's mind. Yeah, so the courts are generally loath to try and figure out what was in somebody's mind when it comes to assessing the reasonableness of police action. Uh, for some of the reasons that the caller is suggesting that it's hard to figure out what is in someone's uh, mind at the time. In fact, the qualified immunity standard that the court adopted actually replaced a focus on subjective good faith of the officers for that very reason. And so the idea is we don't need to look at what that individual officer was intending. Instead, the Fourth Amendment standards are going to look at was what the officer did reasonable in light of the circumstances from an objective standpoint without considering what was in that officer's mind. Hmm. So that would be the underlying Fourth Amendment test. And the qualified immunity test also does not turn on the actual individual intent of the officer. It, it just says, is there a clearly established law that any reasonable officer would know about? And if the answer to that is no, there's not a clearly established law that we can point to or a court decision that is exactly like this one that we can point to, then we will just blanketly protect the officer's conduct from monetary damages. So the intent factor is actually not a huge part of the law. There are some who think that should change. I mean, if you think about our criminal legal system, we figure out criminal intent all the time. In almost every crime, there's a mental intent requirement. And so we use evidence, circumstantial evidence, to try and figure out what was in a person's mind at the time that that person did something. So it's not that it's something that is foreign to the law to do. We could do that if we wanted to. It's just not the direction the court has taken when it comes to police officers' actions. Hmm. Uh, and the cost of these cases. I know cities have insurance policies to deal with these things, but that doesn't mean uh, there isn't a cost. Yes, that's true. And that will vary dramatically. I mean, part of the reason, we, in a lot of circumstances, we don't know because qualified immunity present, prevents any sort of recovery in most of these cases and actually deters a lot of people from even bringing claims, potentially because they will face that sort of wall of protection. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how it would play out, I mean, there are some, it, it's interesting because the argument can kind of cut both ways. Some people might say, look, this will cost taxpayers uh, money if we are going to allow people to recover monetary damages against the police. But that depends on how the police departments respond. The idea behind monetary damages is not just to compensate those who have been victims of police misconduct, but it also would catalyze departments to do more to prevent those kinds of violations from happening. So you can imagine a department that would then train officers differently or supervise officers to prevent these kinds of violations. So it's unclear, you know, whether in the end it would result in more or less in the way of, uh, of judgments. 
Okay, Eve Brunsicki Primus, professor of law and director of the Public Defender Training Institute at the University of Michigan Law School. It was really great to have you here to explain this to our listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to catch up with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about what is going on in Washington, D.C. around the pandemic and police reform. Stay with us on Detroit Today.